mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today is going to be taken from the reading we heard in the Gospel of Luke. You may be seated. We begin with the word of prayer. Mighty Father, we give you thanks that you have called us to be your disciples. And Lord, we come to you today confessing that this call you have placed upon us is impossible. So we pray that you would grant us your Holy Spirit today, that you would teach us, Lord, your own will, how to follow you faithfully. I pray now, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, in Jesus' name. You will forgive us uh, this morning. You will notice it's a little darker up here today. Uh, we fixed the whole system here with the sound and everything is fixed and back to normal. And then a new part of our sanctuary decided to break today, and that's the spotlight. Uh, so um, I will be in the dark today, and a lot of you are thinking, well, that's nothing new, so that's fine. Uh, but sorry about uh, this. We'll get it fixed uh, for our believers, please. So uh, today's text is a hard one. Did you hear those teachings from Jesus today? We're continuing through uh, what we call the Sermon on the, the Plain in the Gospel of Luke. In Matthew's Gospel, we have the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke's Gospel, we have the Sermon on the Plain. And in this sermon, Jesus is preaching to us in ways that are very difficult for us to understand and very difficult for us to follow. And yet, as I heard Jesus' teachings today, it struck me that this text more and more convinces me that if we're going to be saved, it must be by God's grace, that our salvation is purely a gift of God, that if we have faith in this Jesus, if we follow this Jesus, this faith itself must be given to us as a gracious gift. We all know St. Paul's words, or maybe we don't, and these are good words for us to learn. St. Paul in Ephesians, who says, for by grace you have been saved and through faith. And this is not of yourselves. What's not of yourselves? It's faith. This faith is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, lest any of us should boast. If we're going to be faithful, if we're going to have faith, if we're going to follow Jesus, the entire relationship with God is a complete gift. And as I study this text today, it convinces me of that more and more. But how can that be? How can I read a text that shows us uh, so many impossible standards to follow. And look at that and say, my salvation must depend on grace. My relationship with God must be by grace alone. It's because as I read these words from Jesus today, I recognize that nobody in this room is going to read what Jesus says and decide that's the guy I want to follow. No one's going to hear Jesus' commands to us today and say, you know what? I'm ready to give my heart and my life to that guy. Nobody hears Jesus say, bless those who curse you and praise the, pray for those who abuse you and says, yep, sign me up. I'm ready to go. If you were out looking for work and you got a job description that came across your desk or your computer that said, disciple of Jesus, and then you read the Sermon on the Plain, you know what you would do with that? You would put it in the trash bin. You'd crumble it up and throw it away. Because it's just too impossible to even begin to think about us doing any of this stuff. Yeah, you and I, if we're going to be followers of Jesus, it must be by his grace alone. Because none of us are signing up for that. Well, praise be to God, that is how we become disciples. Purely by his grace. That is why you are here. Not because you obeyed these rules perfectly. But because God decided to save you. 
because God chose you. God sent Jesus to bleed and die for your sins. God baptized you and made you his child and brought you into his kingdom. So we have faith and we follow Christ purely by God's grace alone, and we praise God for that. That doesn't make hearing these words any easier for us today. They are still incredibly difficult teachings that Jesus has for us. And so as we did last week, we, we are working then through these teachings of Jesus, these teachings of Jesus, which are really for us, I would say, uh, either disorienting or really reorienting. They're fixing our eyes, and they're helping us see the world and to see the way we work in this world in a completely different way. Now, just to bring us up to speed, if you weren't here last week, let me, let me help you uh, remind you a little bit of what we talked about. Last week, as we got into this Sermon on the Plain, Jesus began by describing people who are blessed by God and people who are cursed by God. And the way he did this was completely backwards from the way we tend to think about things. He said those people who have found great success in this life, those people who have everything you could ever dream of, those who are wealthy and full of food and have no struggles, Jesus says they are cursed because of their idolatry. But those who suffer, those who are hungry, those who are needy, those who are persecuted and attacked for their faith, they are blessed. Because they have faith in Christ. And Christ has prepared an eternal home for them. And this is just, it just kind of makes us think about things entirely differently from how we tend to think about them. But then, not only does that force us to think about like our relationship to God and how we work in this world differently, it also forces us to think a little bit differently about how we treat other people. If God curses those who are well off and he blesses those who are persecuting us, and or, excuse me, blesses those uh, who are needy and who are being persecuted, he's blessing those who are being persecuted. The question comes, how who are we who are suffering for our faith? How are we who are called to be faithful to Christ? How are we who are saved by grace? to treat our neighbors. Specifically, how are we to treat our neighbors who are causing us so much harm? Jesus says, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. And that's all well and good, and we do rejoice in being identified with Jesus and suffering for the name of Christ. It's a, it's a wonderful gift, actually, to receive. But then what are we to do to those who cause us harm? What are we to do to those who put us in a difficult situation, who cause us difficulty? Well, you and I, we all know the answer to that, right? How do you treat those who harm you? How do you handle those who persecute you? You fight back. You put them in their place. And by the way, you're right to do it because you got God on your side, right? So stand up for yourself. Don't be a doormat and let people walk all over you. If they harm you, sue them. If they besmirch your reputation, dig up dirt on them so you can make them look worse than you look. If they make your life difficult, you demonize them and anyone who looks like them or votes like them so that you can gain power over them. And listen, it's not that hard to do anymore. We got entire industries developed to aid you in this practice. Entire media platforms and outlets that you can use to expose the sin of others and display your own suffering. 
Then when people see how bad you have it and how mean they are, you get them on your side, you justify yourself, and you put yourself forward as sort of the champion victim. You pursue justice, and when that doesn't work, take matters into your own hands. All we know is that if someone causes us to suffer, they need to suffer more. And Jesus won't have any of that. He says quite the opposite. He says, for you who are in my kingdom, this kingdom operates by different standards than the kingdoms of this world. My disciples are to look different from those who are discipled by the thinking of this place. How do disciples suffer injustice when it comes their way? Will we suffer injustice for the sake of Christ's name? Someone hits you on the cheek, Jesus says. Give them the other cheek. Now, I do want to make a brief caveat here that's going to take us a little bit away from the sermon, then I'll bring us back to the sermon. But when Jesus says something like this, uh, bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you, he is not talking about uh, an abusive relationship you find yourself in. He's talking about suffering for the faith, and he's talking about those who are being persecuted. If you are in a relationship where the, the other partner is harming you or hurting you or hitting you, the gracious and faithful thing to do is to turn them into the police so they repent before they burn for eternity. Okay? Uh, this is the right thing to do. Jesus is not allowing for, for spousal abuse or for child abuse or for wicked, demonic things like that. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying when you suffer for your faith, here is how to respond. Not stay in that abusive situation. Does that make sense? I just want to be clear on that. Jesus is not calling us to that sort of thing. Nonetheless, as those who follow Jesus Christ, we will suffer in this world for our faith. We will be mocked and we will be belittled. And so how are we to handle it when they come at us that way? Again, we turn the other cheek. What's more? When people need something from us, Jesus says, the one, or not just need something from us, but steal something from us, Jesus says, from the one who takes away your cloak, do, with not, uh, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Now that sounds strange. And, and frankly, that sounds impossible. And not just impossible like, wow, that seems really hard. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that. But impossible, like, if I do that, I'm not going to live much longer. I won't have any more clothes. I won't have any more food. I won't have any more money. I won't have anything, and my cheeks are going to be very bruised all the time. So what is he actually saying to us? Well, there's a couple things I think we want to get out of the way here. Jesus here today is not giving us, like, a daily checklist of things to do. Like, if you want to be a good Christian, go out and get punched. Right? He's not saying that. Guys, get punched and then get on the other cheek to make sure they punch it. I'll do that Monday. Tomorrow I'll give away all my clothes. We'll see what we do Wednesday. Right? That's not what he's doing. Second thing, though, he's not doing here is this. And this is the, the we might call this the, the, the Lutheran move, though I think we Lutherans shouldn't do it quite this way. But where you say something like this. Jesus asked you to do something impossible. You can't do it. God loves you anyways. You're forgiven. Don't worry about it. He didn't really mean it. He just said it this way to, like, open your eyes that you're not very good and that you need help, so don't feel bad, feel good, and go home. That's not what he's doing either. He means what he says here today. This is exactly what he wants you to do. 
So what are we to do with such an impossible standard and command from the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, the third way I think of understanding it here is very important. When Jesus calls us to such a high standard of life, he is not at one point calling us to take our eyes off of him and fix them on ourselves. Our problem is we read this passage and all we do is think about how impossible it is for us to accomplish it. And we take our eyes off of Jesus and we start staring at our own, be our own bellies and our own abilities. That's not what Christ is calling us. Jesus is telling us today to keep our eyes fixed on him. And when we look to Christ, we see that God is calling us to live a life under his gracious rule that is going to look different and even foolish to the rest of the world. Because we follow a God who is very different from the ways of this world, a God who looks very foolish to this world, and a God who is far more radical in the way he loves this world than anybody in this world could possibly even begin to comprehend. See, what Jesus isn't doing here is laying out a system for you for how to save yourself. He's saying to you, now that I have saved you and made you my disciples, your life is going to look different in this world than the way the rest of the world works because you worship a God who is different from the way the rest of the world works. If we're not careful, we're going, to be so, we're going to become so worried that we're not able to love this way and give this way and sacrifice this way that we will miss Jesus' preaching to us about the God who does love this way. Jesus says, look, this is the way the world works, and it's full of idolatry and selfish pride. I want you to look at the way your God works, who loves idolaters and proud people, who forgives the selfish. Listen to what Jesus says. This is remarkable. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And by sinners, it means those who are uh, faithless, have no faith in God. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Which begs the question, how is that? How merciful is the Father? How is the Father merciful? Well, Jesus has told us. He is merciful in that he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. You see, you worship a God whose mercies are deeper and far more powerful than the depth of the sin of this world. And his mercy knows no bounds. He withholds his mercy from no one. And so Jesus says to us today, you are to be merciful as your father is merciful because you begin to reflect what you worship. There was a phrase I heard recently that I think it's, it's rather helpful in certain situations where it says, uh, you become what you worship. Now that doesn't mean by worshiping God we're all going to become merciful gods. That's not what it means. But it does mean that when we worship a truly merciful God, it's going to start to rub off on us. 
And his mercy is going to start to reflect in our lives. You worship a God whose merciful depths know no bounds. And if you want to get an idea of what that is, simply look to Jesus. For Jesus comes to us and shows us the mercy of God. This is where Rachel did such a wonderful job with the children's message. How do you know your God is merciful? Because he's come to you in the flesh of Jesus Christ to die on the cross for all of your sins. He comes for his enemies to reconcile them to himself. And that's not just like a nice theological move we make right there. That's literally what St. Paul says in the book of Romans. He says, while we were enemies of God, we were reconciled by the death of his son. Christ has come and shed his blood to mercifully reconcile you to the Father. Jesus did good to those who hated him. As he bled and died in their place on the cross, all the while they surrounded him and mocked him and whipped him and beat him. He blessed those who cursed him and he prayed for those who abused him as he hung there on the cross, crying out, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He gave the other cheek when they were ripping out his beard. He gave them his garments when they were stolen from him and they gambled for his clothes beneath the cross. In all of this, he suffered in order to show mercy to his enemies, in order to forgive sinners, even to forgive you and me who put him on that cross. So that now, everyone who begs from him, everyone who sees their sins in their lives and cries out for mercy, everyone who hears the impossible demands of the disciples' life and cries for help, Everyone who has sinned against him and put him on the cross, Jesus, that is, everyone who has done this, including you and me, Jesus comes to you says, I give you heaven. I forgive you for your sins. I show you mercy. I bled for you. I died for you. And now I give you my body and my blood to strengthen and to sustain you into life everlasting. All of this Christ does for you mercifully and for free demanding nothing back. That is how your God is merciful. All of this he has done for you, for your salvation, and he's not going to stop. He never withholds such mercy. This makes you realize the more mercy he gives you, again, the more it starts to rub off. The mercy you receive is the mercy you begin to show. The forgiveness you hear is the forgiveness you begin to speak into the lives of others. And it's kind of a delight. I mean, think about this. If you ever had someone in your life, like an authority figure, who showed you kindness, who time and again showed you mercy and love and welcomed you when you didn't deserve it and forgave you when you didn't have it coming your way, who gave you gift after gift after gift and you did nothing for it, don't you see that person you think, I wish I was more like them. I want to be more like them. I think about this with my own dad. Like My dad showed me so much grace as a child. And I think, I think about my dad and I think, boy, if I could just do that sort of thing for my kids. And I strive to do that. Do I fail? Most every hour or so. Yeah, of course I fail. But I know that if I were to go to my dad with my failures, I know he would welcome me back again. It's the same with our Father in Heaven, but like a billion times more so. 
we receive this mercy, and we want to show this mercy, we go out to show this mercy, and we fall down flat on our face. And God continues to lift us up to show us mercy, and to send us out to do it again. So yeah, Jesus calls you to an impossible life, and yeah, he means it, and it's hard work, and it's impossible to do, and it just might be the end of you. But you know what? Where you end, Christ when you fail in sin, Jesus will never fail to give you a father who is kind to the ungrateful who forgives you for all of your sins and carries you through this life to the end. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks that you have called us to such an impossible For Lord, it shows us how much we need you and depend. But it also shows us how much you have done for us in your faith, your son, our Savior. We pray today, O Lord, that you would guide us in following you faithfully, that you would teach us and use us to obey these commands. But Lord, we pray that you would strengthen and empower us to do so by the constant and regular forgiveness of all of our sins. You have given us in a merciful Jesus. In his name we pray.